just fun. It's a fun activity. It's a great opportunity for us as the believers to be salt and light. And a lot of people are confused at Halloween, and there's a lot of darkness. And, it's be, and really, Halloween in our culture has been taken over by the, it's been hijacked by the adults and all kinds of weird stuff. And, uh, but as believers, every day is the Lord's Day. Come on. Every day is the Lord's Day. We choose to celebrate life and victory and love and the goodness of God. And then on November 11th, we have our dream team meeting. If you're a leader here, want to be a leader, uh, if you're part of a ministry here, December 11th, we're having a special meeting in the round. Starting at 5 o'clock, we'll have dinner. And uh, we have some things that we'll, we'll need to be talking about. Because November 18th, we have Operation Blessing. And I'm just kind of recapping what our uh, beautiful young assistant up here in the front, we, we, were, we were lip reading there. But on uh, November 18th, we have our Operation Blessing service. And I'll be talking more about that at the end of our service this morning. If you could stand with me this morning, we're going to read two passages of Scripture. Uh, you should have a little handout. And uh, I helped you with notes this morning. I read this week that uh, if I don't give you notes, you'll remember 5% of what I said in two weeks. And if I do give you notes you'll remember 70%. So, so I don't know if that's true or not. I just heard that. I just, I don't know. Maybe I just made it up. No, maybe the guy just made it up. I don't know. But uh, so I got some handouts for you this morning. But we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, and Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. Romans, chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 18. And the Bible says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Everyone say new thing. Oh, I love that. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now I want you to turn to the New Testament to Romans chapter 8. Very familiar passage of scripture. Paul describing the spirit man's life. Paul describing the believer's life. Life in the Spirit, although full of obstacles and challenges and things that come our way, begins to describe the life of the believer. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 27, Paul says this, And he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Oh, Keith was right on target today. You are not on your own today. Come on, this isn't your burden to carry. This isn't your load to carry. You have an intercessor. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you and through you according to the perfect will of God. And then in verse 28, he declares this. For we know, and we know, that all things, come on, that in all things God works together for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. Lord, I thank You this morning. Lord, for this time of worship. It was so wonderful to be in Your presence with God's people. We love Your presence. We love what You're doing in our lives and our families and our homes. And I thank You today that even in the midst of opportunity, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of adversity that we might face in our daily life, we know that You are the God who has all things under Your control. We bless Your people. Give them spiritual ears to hear. And once again, God, I need your grace to communicate this message of hope, this message of faith, and this message of love. I ask this in Jesus' wonderful and mighty name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Certain people in your life, God brings 
Because God helps you to really learn what love is. We in the Christian church, we use the word love almost flippantly. We've talked about this last week a little bit where we talked about the three different Greek words. We, and in our culture, we love everything. But sometimes we use the word so flippantly that we say that we love someone and we don't even know that person. We just kind of get it out there. We just kind of say it. Back in 2003, uh, there was an individual that came into our church and I was, you know, I'm the huggy pastor, not the druggy pastor. I'm the ex-druggy, now the huggy pastor. And so, uh, you know, I give people hugs. And, uh, and so this one particular individual is in our church and I just said, I love you. And this person looked at me and just kind of with an incredulous look, well, I'm not sure that I love you yet. Cool. Wow, that's quite a response. Where do you go? Okay, all right. But over the next many years, uh, that like has grown to a great love and true love and admiration and agape love between the two of us. In 2004, City Church was at a, at a crossroads. We were at a, a very challenging crossroads. We were meeting in Longwood in the corner of I-434 in the old Jacobson Plaza. And the owner, the, the new owner of that complex, uh, had made a decision that the space that we were in would become his space and that we needed to find a new location. It was a great challenge for us because we didn't really know. We had, we had no idea what the next step was. And, and we had been in an Altamont. We'd moved several times. And we were in Longwood. Uh, and uh, we really liked that location. It was right off the freeway. It was easy access. There's a lot of really positive things about it. But uh, that particular uh, season of our life became very, very difficult very quick. And this property opened. And it was a decision for our team to move our church, an Altamont Longwood church, to Sanford, Florida. Now that's just, it's just, it's hard to explain unless you've had to make that kind of decision, but it's just not something that people do every day. And I had never even really been to Sanford. Maybe one time I've been to Sanford when they used to have the old driver's license bureau out here across from the airport all the way down at the end of the It was the only time I'd ever been to Sanford. I really didn't know anything about it. And, and someone told me about this building and we began to uh, investigate and talk about it as a team. And and so we had an information dinner one afternoon after a Sunday service. And, and we talked about the possibilities. And we presented some facts about the property and how much it was going to cost. And, and after we had some promise cards, everyone had turned the promise cards. This particular person uh, raised their hand and said, Pastor, can I say something? And uh, this person stood and began to speak with the, uh, with the eloquence that uh, I had not heard in a long time. The eloquence of a statesperson, of a, a person who not only knows God, but understands seasons and times and cultures. A person who is educated not only in the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom of God. And, and as this person began to spoke, there was just a penetration that came and a, really a, a, solidifi- a solidification within our church body that this was the step that we were to take. Over the last you know, seven, eight years, this individual has been part of our church family and and this person has stuck it out through thick and thin. Although the music styles have changed and the way we do services have changed, this person has been my biggest fan. Writing notes and letters of encouragement and support. And, and uh, this person is going to come in just a moment. Uh, I have to make a, an, an announcement that's not easy for me to make because we stepped out as a congregation last year asking God to enlarge our border and to enlarge our tent. And we had an opportunity, a window and a door that opened to us. And, 
and being able to uh, move uh, the second and third service into the Millennium Campus. And we did it with all the faith and all the hope that we could muster. And God seemingly opened the door at that season. Uh, that season has come to an end. And we are going to uh, shut the Millennium Campus for this period of time. And we're going to bring that service back into this campus. And we're going to open a second and a third service. The service times will be 8.30, kind of like the old schedule, a little bit different. But 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.45. And many of you have already heard this. And this will be the last time that you'll hear this. And you'll be getting an email blast. But uh, I received a letter from this individual uh, this week. And uh, I believe that this person has a word from God for our congregation. And I'm going to ask uh, Wilhelmina Wilson, used to be Wilhelmina, Wilhelmina, Wilhelmina Wilson to come and to share this letter that God has put upon her heart that she wrote for me. But I want you to hear what she has to say. And so without further ado, I want to welcome Wilhelmina Wilson to the City Church. Good morning, everybody. You can have a seat. We did that just for you. (laughs) Dearest Eugene and Laura, I've been thinking I would like to share those thoughts with you. Please hear me out. Opening the Millennia Campus was done with great care and prayer. God allowed it to open and thrive. Therefore, it must have been his will. You must find peace with that, because the counsel of God shall stand, no matter what man may desire and plan. It is the will of God which is carried out. Just look at what was accomplished in his name. A young man of God obtained much needed experience. He now knows what it means to be in charge. More worship talent was discovered. The young people involved will forever be changed for the better because of it. The prayers prayed in that auditorium have consecrated that place. (laughs) Don't think that will not have an influence on the children who sit there in that public space. Yes, they will feel the effects. The neighbors who saw the many cars going to a public school on a Sunday had their consciences pricked because they know where they should have been on Sunday morning. (laughs) You both know now what it will take to have more than one campus. Our God is so good. He prepares us for what is to come. You probably know what Mark Batterson has written about no small plans. 
please read page 196 of his book, Another Time. It will add to your preparation for what has for what is to come, I pray. I want to close with an affirmation that I repeat twice a day. Nothing in all the vast universe can come to pass otherwise than God has eternally purposed. Know that I love you both. May God continually bless and keep you and City Church. Living in a fallen world means that times our plans don't work out the way that we think. And sometimes there are shut doors. I love open doors, and we love to discuss open doors and talk about the victories of open doors. But in God's sovereignty and plan, there are shut doors. Uh, maybe you're uh, a young couple, and you've been trying to get pregnant for a long time, and you haven't been able to produce a child. And for you, that's been a shut door. Maybe you were working and you had a job that you loved and all of a sudden the economy changed and you found that you no longer had that, jo that job. That was a shut door. Maybe in your life you found yourself in a, an economically difficult time like millions of people across America and no longer could make your mortgage payment. You found that to be a shut door. I mean, shut doors are a reality of life and they happen to all of us. And it's not that we have shut doors. It's what we do during the times of shut door that determine the kind of person that we are now and the kind of future that we're going to have in the future. You know, for me, I had to really process this and I've had lots of emotions and, and they talk about uh, counselors and psychologists talk about the stages of grief and, and I started reading about those stages this week and I realized that some of those stages of grief I've actually had to walk through. It's never easy to have a no in your life. I love yeses. I want people to tell me yes. I want God to always tell me yes. I like things to be yes in my life. I always expect a yes from my boys. I mean, I want yeses in my life, but the fact is, life doesn't always give you a yes. You know, in the Bible, it's just clear. The Bible says that God opens a door that no man can shut, but He shuts a door that no man can open. You have the scripture verse. You guys can put that right up on the screen. God shuts a door. He shuts and He opens doors. He is the God who is in control of our life. And if He shuts one door, there's always a purpose and there's always a reason and there's always a mean. See, God shuts doors. But not only does God shut doors in the fallen world that we live in, the Bible indicates that even Satan at times has the ability to shut doors. I hate to give the devil any credit, but I'm just going to have to tell you what the Bible says. Paul the Apostle writing to the church at Thessalonica says, listen, I wanted to come and preach the gospel. I wanted to come and encourage you and teach you and minister to you. Certainly I, Paul, I wanted to come again and again. But Satan stopped us. I don't like that. I don't even know what that exactly means. I've never even heard anybody preach a message on this. I really don't. 
But I know that there's a real live unseen world that we are wrestling against. Sometimes men shut doors. Sometimes the doors are shut just because we do some really stupid things as human beings. And it's not only is the Scriptures full of examples, but you've seen plenty of examples in your own personal life, and you've seen examples of people that are around you. Could you just go ahead and put that next verse up for me there? Shut doors happen because of human decisions. People make all kinds of decisions. All kinds of decisions. Paul, the apostle, talks about the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness and the things that they did. I mean, they did all kinds of sexual immorality. And then when they got out there in the wilderness, they complained about their circumstances. The quickest way for you to shut doors in your life is to complain about where you are right now. It's just, I mean, I didn't make this up. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for yourself. They just messed it up. They complained. They murmured. It was never good enough. They always looked at the cup as half full. It was, right, half empty? Half empty. All right, we'll try that one. It was always half empty. I mean, it was always a negative. They're always looking at the negative. They were, and part of the challenge right now in the culture that we live going into political cycle, it's just so negative. It's even good people find themselves in a constant attack mode, constantly bringing out the negative. And, and I got to tell you, although there are negative things, we can't focus on those things. Paul said, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report, think upon those things. But men make choices. You make choices. And you've made some choices in your life that have possibly shut some doors. And then finally, I have what I call the the mystery door. The mystery door. Sometimes doors are just shut, and it's just a mystery. We just don't know why. We don't really understand it. It doesn't make sense. Ecclesiastes says the race is not for the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or the wealth to the brilliant, nor favor to the Lord, but time and chance happen to them all. There's lots of more verses that really seem to talk about the mystery of life. And there are things that are mysterious to us, but we know as believer that God is completely in control. And God can take the circumstances that need, look to be a negative and all the emotional baggage within, all the things that we go through, and God can take those and He can turn those for our good if we allow Him to work the work that He wants to do in our life. I mean, you can just read in the beginning, you can look at a woman by the name of Sarah and she had a shut door. It was a shut womb. But God used that shut womb as a young woman to bring her to a place of impossibility. For at the age of 90, she was had an open door and an open womb. And God took to what was to be impossible with a man and make it to be possible with him. You see, because he's the God that can make the impossible possible in our life. I mean, you look at a guy like Moses, who was a prince in the land. I mean, his life was favored. The very fact that he was spared when all the other babies his age and his generation were being aborted, were being murdered, were being slaughtered. Let me tell you, people make choices to do evil, wicked things, but God always judges sin. And God hates the shedding of innocent blood. I'm just going to make it plain. This is not a political issue. I can't stand the fact that this is a political issue. This is a moral issue. This is a godly issue. And Moses was spared. And the, 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 the king, the pharaoh, the, the most powerful man in the land, the one that made this edict, his father found a little baby and raised him in Pharaoh's house. And he became a prince. He went from becoming a prince, a man, to God saying, Moses, this door is shut. 
He went from having all the trappings of worldly wealth, all the pleasures of this world, and in one moment, God shut that door and said, Moses, you are no longer going to be a prince, but I have a message, a message for you to bring to Pharaoh. And you will no longer be a prince, but now you will be my liberator of my people. You see, one shut door turned into an open door. I mean, you can read it all throughout Scriptures. Even Jesus, our Savior. I mean, Jesus is in the garden and He's agonizing. And He says, Father, if there be any other way, God, I don't want to do... This is, Im- this is impossible. God, this is too hard. It's too difficult. This cross, this taking upon me the sins of the world, but nevertheless, not my will, but Your will be done. You see, and one shut door, a no from God, turned into an open door of salvation and hope and forgiveness and love for all mankind, for all people, for all generations. See, that's the God that we serve. That's the kind of God that works on our behalf. One closed door doesn't mean that God still isn't working on our behalf. One shut door doesn't mean that God still isn't up to something good on behalf of His people. I love David. I've been in the Psalms all week when I need to be consoled and encouraged and just you know whine a little bit to God and turn it into a praise and all the things that David does. I just read the Psalms. And in Psalms chapter 6, as I was reading this week, this just stuck out into my mind. David says, I am worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow because they fail of all my foes. I mean, David just crying out to God, but he never leaves it there. He always ends it in a praise. He always ends it in a thanksgiving. Listen, David didn't understand. His enemies were against him. Things weren't working the way that he wanted. He was anointed to be king. He was the man of faith and power. He was the man at the age of 17. Took down Goliath. I mean, he had killed the Philistines. He'd done all these incredible things. And now it looks like everything has turned against him. But God, but God, See, in our lives today, open doors and shut doors are reality, and they're not always easy for us to walk through. T.D. Jake says, your, set, your setback is a setup for a comeback. Your setback is a setup for a comeback in God. Come on, someone said amen. God shuts doors, He locks doors, but He's also the God that opens doors. Paul the Apostle, Silas, preaching the Gospel, gets thrown into prison. And it's a shut door. It's a shut door. But you know, Paul never let that shut door stop him from giving God praise. I mean, it was bleak. It, was, it, it looked like everything was against him. And as I begin to read that story again of Paul in Acts chapter 16, and the Bible said it was about the midnight hour, when it was the very darkest of the night. Paul turned that shut door into a praise meeting. Listen, that was a moment for him. He could have been pouting and whining and crying, but Paul turns that into a praise. He begins to lift his voice in thanksgiving. And those shackles that had shut that door upon him and the prison's door, the prison's doors that were literally shut, God, because, because one man was not willing to shut the door himself, but say, God, I'm going to trust you. You are good all the time. At the cross, at the cross, 
where I first saw the light and the burden of my soul rolled away. It was there by faith. I received by my sight. And now I am happy all the day. He began to sing hymns and songs unto God. And those shackles with the key of the angel of God, they popped open. The prison door popped open. And all of a sudden, what looked like a closed door became an open door in Paul's reality. Why? Because Paul wasn't willing to settle for a closed door. He wasn't willing to settle for a closed door. He knew that all things that God was going to turn this for good. Listen, I want you to know today, we have closed doors and open doors. The reality of our life. I, I had an image this week, uh, kind of how we live as humans in relationship to God. Uh, I saw a little baby in our church. It was Kenny Cheeseman and Stephanie's little tiny baby. And Daddy was in the round building where he was working on something. And, and, and Stephanie had walked in with her little baby. And as she walked in, her little daughter saw her daddy. Can you put that picture up of the little baby for me? She saw her little, and she's just learning to walk like that. Picture should be the other way. The baby is running towards daddy. But, <laughs> but I saw this little tiny baby just learning how to walk. Just learning how to, what's, what's, what's the baby's name? Kimberly. I saw little Kimberly. I'll have it by the second service. I saw little Kimberly. She's running towards daddy. And she starts to stumble. And there's like four of us in the room. And we weren't saying, come on, Kimberly, what's wrong with you? Why can't you walk right? What's your problem? Come on, Kimberly, you can't fall down. What are you thinking? Come on, can't you just walk normal? Why are you walking like that? Why are you walking like a little tiny baby? No, 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 no. Here's Daddy. Here's her biggest friend, fan. Here's Kenny. Come on, Kimmy. Come on, you can do it. Here's Stephanie. Oh, come on. Here's Pastor Eugene. Yeah. Come on, you can do it, baby. You can do it. And that's exactly how God sees us. That's exactly how God sees us. Oh, we're stumbling in the dark. We're trying to figure it out. Oh, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, I can't do this without you. Oh, and he said, come on, son. You can take another step. I'm your biggest fan. If God be for you, who can be against you? Come on. He's a good God. He's a good God. One shut door just means that God has something else in store in my life and in yours. But I want to give you some facts. I want to give you some reality therapy. I want to help you because, listen, I'm walking through this. But I'm going to go through the fire and I'm not going to be burned. I'm going to go through the flood wires and I'm not going to drown. Because when I'm going through hell, I'm not going to stop. When I'm going through hell... I'm not going to stop. I want you to know today, there's some realities that we have to deal with. And the very first thing is when you have doors looking like they're going to be shut in your life, you've got to deal honestly with the facts. You've got to deal honestly with the facts. We knew about four months ago that things were not looking good. We could just see it. We could see the financial drain on the church. We could see that it wasn't growing at the rate. And there were some internal things that we were trying to shift and get in position. And we were working as hard as we could to make that campus work. But we watched over the last, actually since January, it's the first year in 12 or 13 years of our ministry that our finances have started to go down. Very first year. And we were watching the finances start to go down in our church. And at the same time, we increased our income because we took on that campus, which was like adding a whole other mortgage payment to our church. That's not good. Everyone said, that's not good. Everyone said, that's a problem. All right, it's a problem. Well, we, you know, 
we had a little bit of money saved. And so we were spending that money, and we got down like an investor. When you get down to the end of the money that you have saved, and now you're, now you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, and now you're going into reserve savings, you know, you have to make some kind of tough decisions. And this is really where it came to. I had to deal with the brutal facts. I had to deal with the reality. I had to get really honest about where it was at. I had to just, you know, I had a lot of hope and a lot of faith, but for me to stay in hope and faith and to drive the whole church into the ground because I'm full of pride and I can't admit that we have a shut door, that would be a bigger problem. That'd be a bigger problem. Uh, Jim Collins in a book, Good to Great, our staff has read this book, and it's an incredible book. If you haven't read this book, it's, it's a classic read now. It's about 12 years old. But in the book, he talks about a principle called the, the Admiral Stockstill Paradox Principle. The Admiral Stockstill Paradox Principle. And basically, Admiral Stockstill stayed in the Hanoi Hilton from 1965 to 1973. And in those seven and a half years that he was in the Hanoi Hilton, life was difficult. He was beat almost to the point of death over 30 times. And Jim, St- uh, uh, Jim Collins said, I was getting ready to interview him, and I was reading about his life, and I realized that he had a little different take on optimism. And so I began to wonder, how did this guy make it through all this? How did he really withstand all that imprisonment? And when everyone else had, around him, literally everyone else in his battalion that had been taken captive as a prisoner of war in the Vietnam War had died, how did he live? And he said, when I interviewed him, he said, uh, he said I got to tell you, the, the only ones that died were the optimists. He said, what do you mean the optimists? He said, because the optimists always said that by Christmas they were going to get out. And Christmas would come, and Christmas would go, and then they would lose hope. And when you lose hope, you lose life. If you have no hope, you have no life. He said another Christmas would come and go, and then another optimist would die. He said the challenge of life is to hold on to the reality of the brutal facts, yet at the same time have faith that your future is going to be different. He said it's not easy, but you have to deal with the brutal facts. This is the reality. And he said, I survived. He said, I had a hope. I had a hope and a preferred future. But my reality is, I probably wasn't going to get out by Christmas. It's a fact. And what happens when most people, and this is what happens with a whole bunch of people, when things start going downwards, when things start going sideways, rather than dealing with the brutal facts, rather than getting, and we've had some bare wire conversations Right, you know, you talk about, it's like kind of when they accidentally put their microphone on some politicians who were talking in the, back, in the back room. You know, when they're in public, they never say the F-bomb. They never, and we don't do that here. We don't say that. We don't do any of that. But, I mean, it was just bare wire. It was open and honest and transparent. And this is the facts. And we got the T-board out. And there's how many dollars and all that kind of stuff. And this is the reality of it. You've got to deal with that. You're just putting your head in the sand and you're thinking that, you're thinking that you're putting the hand of the head of the sand and hoping it's going to go away is going to solve your problem. And it doesn't work like that. You've got to deal with the reality. But with God, but with God, all things are possible to them that believe. So the first thing you have to do is you have to deal honestly. You have to have an honest self-evaluation. An honest self-evaluation. Uh, for me, um, my challenge is that I tend to judge myself very harshly. Some people don't judge themselves at all. Some people just, it's always everybody else's fault. We never did that here. We, you know, no one else, there's no one else to blame. If there's any blame on this whole transition, 
It's my fault because I'm the leader. And, and anytime a leader tries to throw his secretary of state, I mean, anytime, an leader, anytime a leader tries to throw his associate under the bus and take the bullet, they're not a leader. They're not a leader. A, a, a leader takes responsibility. And so anything that happens here, it, you know, whether I like it or not, I take responsibility. And so I had to make this very difficult decision for our church. I had to make this difficult decision. So evaluating ourselves and being honest, I, I tend to be very hard and brutal. But after today, I'm going to move forward. After today, the decision's been made. We're going to move forward. So we have to honestly evaluate ourselves. The second thing is we must refuse to get stuck. We must refuse to get stuck. Don't get stuck. Don't stop. I've watched grown men who had business failures. Watched them. And I mean, things were going good for a period. Made a lot of money. And then more of the economy. You know, this isn't the first economic downturn. I'm 49 now, so I've lived through enough cycles to see the boom and bust cycle many times. At least three, four times. At least three or four times. Where things just blow up and then blow up. and A lot of money when things are going up and a lot of money being lost. And and I've watched grown men, when they lost, they just shut down. And as a believer, as a believer, when things start going sideways and we shut down, it's exactly the wrong approach. Instead of running to Jesus, we run from Jesus. And Jesus is your only hope. Jesus is your only source. Jesus is your only salvation. You're not going to find it in politics. You're not going to find it in your visa card. You're not going to find it in a new relationship with a new spouse. You're not going to find it in any other thing other than Christ. He is your all. Paul the Apostle said, My one desire is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. To know Jesus. To know Him. Don't get stuck. Don't stop where you're at. Don't find yourself stuck on the mumble button. Get up. Move forward. The third thing is, the third thing is, get back up. Get back up and keep doing good. Get back up. Proverbs says, For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in a time of calamity. Paul said, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we do not give up. Next thing is stay thankful. Stay thankful. Be grateful. Have a grateful heart. Have a grateful heart. Be thankful today. Be thankful. I woke up, I looked at Pastor Glenn at lunch and on Monday or on Tuesday after our staff meeting, and I looked him right in the eyes and I said, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praises shall continually come from my mouth. I choose to sing praises to God. I choose to continue to give him thanksgiving. I choose to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I choose joy. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. You you make a choice. And if I don't make the choice, my wife's going to help me make that choice. And I've just got to say that I'm grateful to the Lord that he's given me, Laura, the victorious spirit one she's always grateful. She's always thankful. I mean, always. If she goes south in our family, we're all in trouble. Oh, man. Choose to give the Lord thanks. We're coming into Thanksgiving season. And a lot of us 
we might not be as blessed as we were a couple years ago, but we're still blessed. I mean, compared to what? Compared to when I was in Dominica in April and saw what I saw there, compared to what the missionaries are telling me that's happening in Cuba when people are making $30 a month and just met with one of our Cuban missionaries that just got back and said, man, you can't even believe the poverty there. And then they get hit by this storm that comes through. It's just, I mean, compared to Haiti where I was last year, guys, you don't know poverty. We don't know poverty. We don't know suffering. We don't know economic lack. We really don't. We really, really, really don't. We have a lot to be thankful for today. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto His holy name. Stay on the thanksgiving side. Stay on the praise side. Oh, you have your times and you're like David. You're crying on your bed, but when you get up, you push the happy button. Come on. And with God, all things are possible to them that believe. The last thing, the last thing this morning is you've got to keep moving forward. You've got to keep moving forward. My dear brothers and sisters, I'm not all that I should be, never claimed to be, but I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing. I'm going to forget the past. I'm going to look forward to what lies ahead. I'm going to strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. I'm going to keep moving forward in God. And I'm inviting you to come along. I'm inviting you to come along to keep moving forward in God. Every year for the last 10 years, we've done Operation Blessing. And uh, in the past, we've helped subsidize the church. It usually costs about $5,000 to give away over 300 food baskets. And a lot of people give, but we always have to buy more food. We always have to buy more gift cards. Last year, we gave away almost 300 food bags to people in our culture, in our community. I just, I thought, you know, sometimes in these kinds of seasons, too bad it's a presidential election because the issue of poverty, the way we talk about money and who has what and all that gets all messed up to the realities of the biblical truth. But the biblical truth is the Bible commands us as believers to open our hearts to those who are in need. The Bible, it's not an option. Jesus said, Jesus said, you fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was in prison. And they said, well, Lord, we never did that. And he said, oh, yeah, you're right. You never did that because when you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. It's all throughout scriptures. From the wealthiest man in the world, Solomon, who wrote that, listen, a man who is generous and lends his food to the poor or gives his food to the poor will be blessed of the Lord. And uh, this year, this year, I need your help. We need the $5,000 if we're going to do what we did in this community. And the needs are greater than it's ever been. And, and so I got this little check card here. And, we're going to take a special offering on November 11th and we're going to receive an offering and we're going to believe that God's going to be able to meet the need and every person who comes on this church campus listen it's not your place to judge them and where they're at it's not my place you got to be kidding me who are you God could take everything away. Well, you could be a paraplegic tomorrow you could be you have no idea you just don't know come on let's not judge one another if you judge Jesus says that judgment comes right back on you we open our hands and we say, God, we're going to be a generous people. We're going to be a blessed people. The blessings of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. And I choose to live open-handed. And so my wife and I are going to lead the way this year. We, we always lead the way in our giving. We do our very best. We give sacrificially. And we're going to lead the way this year. In 1904, there was a man by the name of William Borden. He was from the Borden household of fame. He was a very, very wealthy young man. At the age of 18, his parents sent him around the world. Not only once, but they sent him twice. 
at the age of 18 as he was going around the world. He was a Christian, you know, kind of like a lot of people by name. But as he began to travel around the world and see the great needs, and it wasn't a, one of those kind of trips. I mean, it was a trip of only the wealthy could take. And back then, they were actually tourists. They were two words. You would go at least a month or two months. And these tours that he took would be three months. He was one of the wealthiest part. He came from one of the wealthiest families in America. And as he was traveling around the world, he began to get a heart and a burden for souls. He began to see the needs all over the world. And, and, and he came back and he felt this call to go to seminary. And, and so he took his Bible out. In the back of his Bible, he wrote these two words, no reserves. No reserves. He wrote those two words, no reserves. He went to school the first year, and at that summer, his parents sent him on another trip, and there he got really convicted about what he was going to do with the rest of his life. He really began to feel a call, and, and as he was traveling, he came back, and he said, I'm going to go to seminary, and I'm going to learn how to become a missionary to the Muslims in China. I'm going to become a missionary to the Muslims in China. And he came back, and on the back of his, back of his uh, uh, Bible, he wrote these two words, no retreats, no retreats, no regrets. The next year, he wrote No Retreats. True story. That year, when he went back to Yale Divinity, he, he started a Bible club. And in that Bible club, he had a little prayer meeting. He started off with about 15 guys. And over the period of that year, over 1,000 people were coming to his prayer meeting. Over 1,000 people. Out of 1,500 students at Yale Divinity School in 1906, over 1,000 of them were coming to a prayer meeting. Again, again, he felt the stirring. He finished his Divinity School. And he went to language school in the Middle East. And he was in language school. And, and he got his Bible. And he was preparing himself for ministry. And he wrote these two words. No regrets. Within two months, he died of meningitis. At the age of 25. When they found his Bible, they found his Bible. They found these words. No reserves. No retreats no regrets <laughs> come on if that doesn't move your heart come on this thing there's no regrets man the past Paul said I can't change my past I didn't do it alright I'm not a perfect man but this one thing I know I'll put in the past behind me. I don't care what happened this week in your life. I don't care how bad you messed it up. I don't care what you said to who you said it to. Today's a new day in God. Today's a new opportunity to move forward in your God. Come on, don't let the decisions of your past rob you from your future and your faith to move forward in God. Breakfast yesterday morning with some of our men. Doug course looked at her table and he said, we must not let this decision, we must not let this decision hinder us or rob us from the faith to move forward in the future that God has for us. And the moment he said that, our meeting, we all knew it, that was the word from God. We must not make what's going to take place. Listen, I mean, these things aren't easy for anybody. We're going to have some challenges and working the teams back and the two services and the third service, the wide open band is going to play. And that's going to be a completely different feel. It's going to be way younger, way louder. And those of you who are trying to bring the sound down in the first service and the second service, and we're going to make that loud, loud, loud service in the third service. And, but listen, guys, I love you. And I believe in you. But I have a God who believes you and even more. And He wants you to move forward in Him. I want you to close your eyes this morning. I don't know what happened to you. This was just my week and 
maybe this message was just for you. Maybe you've had a shut door in your life. Maybe there's been a door that's been shut and it's been really frustrating and really challenging. And you don't know why and you've gone through all that, you know, the why questions and trying to figure it out and God's just like, you know what? You're going to have to trust me in this. I can work all things together for good for those who love me. And you're here today and you've had a shut door in your life and you need the grace of God to touch you in a fresh way. You need the grace of God to touch you in a fresh way to give you the strength just to take it one more day. If that's you today, if that's you, there's been a shut door and you need God to touch your heart to give you the strength to make it one more day. When I count to three, can you raise your hand? One, two, three. Come on, raise your hand right now. Hands all up. All kinds of doors. Come on, all kinds of honesty here today. Can we stand together this morning? Listen, you raised your hand and I never want to miss an opportunity to have people pray with you today. There were many hands that were raised. I challenge you today with the cards and you can touch, you can turn your connection cards in on your way out. But listen, guys, I want you to do business with God. You know, when I was a kid, my pastor would into every altar service, every every service, and we actually had wooden altars. And I would see people every single week come to these altars. And after a church had been around for a long time, those altars would just be stained. And they were stained with the tears of God's people who had a need and they needed one more touch from the Lord. Don't leave this place today. The worship team, they're not going to get wild and crazy. I want you to keep this in atmosphere of worship and prayer like this. But you need to connect with God. I have to go over to the next service. And Wilhelmina, thank you. We're going to go together. And, and I feel so thank you for communicating that word to us. But I want you right now just to close your eyes. You feel the Holy Spirit tugging your heart. You know you need to do business with God. You've had a, a shut door. And you need His grace today. I'm going to invite you to come. As you're coming, I'm going to pray over the congregation. I'll invite you to come and do business with God today. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you for the love that you've extended to your people. We truly make a decision today to live a life of no regrets. Bless your people. Go before them. Thank you for your favor and kindness. Thank you, Lord, that when you shut a door, Lord, it doesn't mean that it's final. Lord, you have another direction for us to go. And we look forward with anticipation to your grace and to your presence and to your power that goes before us. In Jesus, your wonderful and mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Until we see you again.